This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. What a terrific time. Hey, and again, thank you all for coming um, this July 4th weekend. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, this time to be able to share with you all. You know, um, Ryan and Kelly and the kids are able to get away, which is terrific. And uh, hopefully they are totally away and can totally relax and just re, uh, re-engage. Uh, sometimes, I'll tell you, sometimes the pastor can really take it out of you. And I know when Ryan left, he needed some rest. So, uh, you know, maybe before we say anything else, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer and pray for Ryan and Kelly and the kids. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that, you know, it's amazing to think, here you are in this room, filling up this room, filling up us, and yet you're, you're with Ryan and Kelly wherever they are. Uh, you are everywhere always, and I praise you and thank you for that. And Lord, we just lift up Ryan and Kelly and the kids, and I pray that you would just pour on them refreshment and relaxation, just like a pitcher of water. And uh, may they come back just excited. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And, and Lord, for uh, this challenge we're going to face today, I pray that you would just fill it with your spirit. May you uh, yeah, fill me with words that will communicate to us. And Lord, may you be uh, just uh, communicating your heart to us this morning. I thank you so much for the freedoms we have in you. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Amen. The freedoms we have in Christ. And, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Um, you know, and I want to start with a little video. Uh, about a year ago, Aaron Bjorklund put me onto these things. These things are called kid snippets. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen it. They, were, they kind of went viral a few months ago, like about a year ago. Um, funny as all get out. And it's basically some parents who got together and they took little snippets of their kids' conversations. And then they lip synced them. Um, we're going to watch one that has to do with teaching math. And uh, so anyway, guys, let's roll that. Let's see it. Okay, Hi, here's your homework. Um, first, let me tell you the directions. Um, what? Four. Take away five. One, two, three, four, five, six. Take away. What's six take away one? One. No, you take away, so you take away one out of six. How much does it equal? What's five, 10 minus one? I don't know. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six, seven, eight, nine. Ten. Nope. Take away one. What is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Nope. One, two, three, four, five, six, six seven, eight. And eight. And one more. And add one more. How many is equal? One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One. It equals, it makes nine. See how you take away? You take away one, and it equals one. Mm-hmm. Do you get it now? 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Aren't those great? My goodness. Well, you know, the reason I, the reason I share that with you, um, I just think uh, as I look at that, you know, I, I kind of see there's a lot of things in our Christian life that I wrestle with understanding, and I probably identify with this guy. <laughs> uh, what we're going to look at today is something that I, I wrestle with, and it's called uh, Freedom from the Tyranny of Religion. And I, I chose that, hey, it's Independence Day, you know, so we can choose the words we want. Anyway, but, but freedom... Freedom from religion, and I am saying this, I'm confessing, my goodness, you have a religious guy sitting up in front of you today, and that's not always good. Uh, I, I grew up in a Baptist preacher's kid home, a Baptist preacher's home. I would never trade my uh, childhood home, my home for anything. We had a great time growing up, but I got to admit to you, I learned all the rigmarole of what it is to be in church. I learned the right answers. I learned what's expected of you. Uh, and it's sometimes so hard for me to be able to, um, to adjust when, when the message of the grace of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is proclaimed. Um, there's a, a little survey that was done by the Barna organization. This happened about three years ago. And they just uh, interviewed churchgoers People who said they were professing Christians, they interviewed them, asked them a whole bunch of questions, and one of those questions had to do with what do you consider equates with spiritual, spiritual maturity, spiritual health? What do you see spiritual health as? One of the widely embraced notions about spiritual health is that it means, quote, trying hard to follow the rules described in the Bible. Ouch. Now... You know, I could see a few people answering that. But the percentage was 81% of folks who said they were believers. They were followers of Jesus Christ. They, they believed he was their Lord and Savior. 81% of people said, um, I believe that it, uh, spiritual health is about following the rules that are described in the Bible. And how do we do that better? So I think I'm not alone when I come to this. I think there's that there's that puzzling aspect. Um, how, do we, how do we move beyond that? Um, there's, another, there's another little research. It was done by Pew Research. This came out in May. And it was very interesting. It was, it was just trying to see how many people in the different age categories, different generations, would consider themselves affiliated in what religious structure, whether it's Roman Catholic or Protestant or, or none. And, and that term none has grown over the years. And millennials, millennials, those between uh, 19 and 35, 35% said they fit into that none category. Uh, so much so that now the term none actually has a meaning. You know, you got the Roman Catholics, you got the Protestants, you got the nuns. And um, that's right. I never thought of that until I said it. Um, but so, so you have that kind of... Uh, yeah, dynamic that's going along, especially along the younger generation that's coming up. Uh, they, they do not want any kind of religious affiliation. And yet, in the survey, what came out was many of those millennials still believe in Jesus Christ. And even uh, a number of them believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. 
They just are suspicious of religion. And I would uh, say to you, so is the Bible. The Bible's pretty suspicious of religion. We're going to look in the book of Colossians today. And so I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Colossians. Um, we're going to be bouncing around some. But um, in Colossians 1, over this week and next week, we're going to be looking at this. And, um, you know, Colossians is a special book to me. It, it was a book way back in my first pastorate. So this is going to date me, I'm sorry. But 38 years ago, I think it was, I memorized the book of Colossians. Um, <clears throat> anyway, um, it, our small group kind of set that challenge for each other. So I'm going to close my eyes here. Now I got to get the right. Okay. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, the faith and love that springs from the hope that you have in heaven. And, and that's kind of where it falls apart. Um, but I, because I haven't practiced it in probably 38 years, it's not there now. But those first few verses stick with me. And even as I was preparing for this message, this book of Colossians warms my heart. You know, I, I think of a lot of time, things in my life back at that time. Um, there's just a... You know, a great sense that's there. Well, in Colossae, where this was written to, in Colossae, there was a little church, and uh, this little church had started out very vibrant. It, it was about 50 AD, um, and um, the, the, the town of Colossae was really kind of at its peak at that point. And um, this group of people who Paul refers to as holy and faithful, this group of people was under attack. They were having challenges to their faith. And Paul received word that these challenges were coming from outside sources. And the church was beginning to kind of succumb to some of those other religious influences. And so he sits down and pens this letter. And you know what? He never had been to Colossae. Paul was not the one who planted this church. But there was such a love that welled up inside of him. He just had to write this letter to them to warn them and to point out some of the errors that were taking place. Um, let's learn a little bit about Colossae. Colossae is in the modern-day country of Turkey. Now, this is superimposed on Turkey, just so you can see where Colossae was. If you were to go there today, it's just a hill. There's nothing left. It hasn't been excavated or anything like that. Um, but in its day, Colossae sat in a river valley called the Meander River Valley. Um, there were three major towns around there, Colossae being one of them. And interestingly enough, uh, one of the historians back in that time wrote, boy, the Meander River Valley is one of the most beautiful sites in the Roman Empire. And crowds flocked to it every year. And Colossae was right there. In other words, Colossae was kind of a resort destination. It was something that people wanted to see. Um, had very fertile land. In fact, Colossae got its name from a color pink of a certain flower that would just blanket the hillsides. Um, Resort destination. You know, I, I think of us. We're kind of a resort destination. I mean, we're a nice place to come visit. Uh, Carrie and I just had a great opportunity of a lifetime to go to Alaska. Now, so about a, a week ago, we came back. We had a terrific time. But I got to tell you, um, we, okay, we did the whole tourist thing, going on a cruise ship, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and on this cruise ship, we got to talk to a lot of people, and they'd say, well, where do you come from? And I'd say, Colorado. And they'd say, oh, man, that's on my bucket list. I want to go to Colorado. Um, you know, I got to tell you about this cruise. Uh, 
it was mainly old people, so they had to get that bucket list filled first. So, but, uh, you know, just like Colossae, here we are, a resort destination. Um, the, the commerce of Colossae had some similarities too. Like I said, it was a resort destination, so tourism was very big. My goodness, tourism's pretty big here. Um, it was known for winemaking. These fertile hills had all kinds of vineyards around, so, so wines were made. You know, and yeah, we don't have a lot of vineyards over here on this side of the mountains, but we do have a lot of microbreweries, don't we? Uh, I read someplace where we're kind of like the king of microbreweries right in this area. Um, um, it, it was also known for having huge flocks of sheep that would graze among these flowers, huge flocks of sheep. We don't have huge flocks of sheep, but we've got huge, huge herds of cattle. You know, there's some similarities that are going there. Um, Colossae was also in this Meander River Valley, which was a beautiful place, but it was beautiful because it had some pretty, um, how do you say it, unplanned weather patterns. You just never knew when it was going to have a torrential downpour. You never knew when something might flood. Does that sound familiar? Um, all of these things, there are some similarities, but here's the one that really grabs me the most. Colossi and this Meander River Valley was known as a melting pot of philosophies and religious ideas. Does that ring a bell? Um, I think of Boulder, you know, the Republic of Boulder. And uh, you just think of all the ideas that are fostered up there. And then you contrast that with Colorado Springs, which is kind of the flip side of the coin, the bastion of evangelicalism. And, and here we are, right in the middle of all that, the home of promise keepers. Who, anyway, lots of, lots of things going on in this area. Colossae had some similarities to what we have. Um, now, what, what characterized some of the philosophies in uh, Colossae, we, we can only kind of garner as we look at some of the verses in Colossians. Um, it seemed to be kind of a mix of pagan intellectualism and oppressive legalism. Maybe I could say elite philosophies and just stick your nose to the grindstone philosophy. Um, and, and that seemed to be what was going on in Colossae kind of impacting the church. Um, this, this pagan intellectualism it was really kind of like the roots or the seeds of a, of a philosophy that emerged in about 30 years called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. And it comes from a Greek word called Gnostikos, which means good at knowing. Good at knowing. Um, and basically what that meant was there were certain people that were good at knowing. There was an elite intelligentsia, and they understood what was really going on, and you needed to talk to them to be able to understand what to do to be able to become spiritual. Uh, the, the background of this Gnosticism was that they believed that everything material, that means us, this world that we stand on and walk on, everything material is evil. It's evil. There was a holy God, but that God was so distant from this evil world. Now, how do you make a connection with the holy God? Well, you have layers upon layers upon layers upon layers that eventually comes down and meets this world. And gradually, as it comes down, it gets a little bit, you know, 
I'd call healthier, but anyway, a little bit more evil. So, so it finally reaches here. And these elite thinkers understood all of this, and they could advise you and initiate you into the way so that you could um, enter into some of these layers and little by little become closer to that holy God. Um, Paul, Paul spoke directly to this in chapter 2. When he says in verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Isn't that great that he uses that? High-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual power of this world rather than from Christ. And, and he kind of shares a few other tidbits about this philosophy, including that this Gnosticism had the worship of angels. Had the worship of angels. You may say, why would they have a worship of angels? Well, remember all these layers? Well, all these layers are layers of angels. And this elite intelligentsia, who was kind of up the, up the ladder a little bit, they would introduce you to your spirit guide, who would be able to take you on this journey layer by layer by layer toward the holiness of God. Does that sound freaky? Does that sound similar to some things we have around here? I, I remember... Well, I'll just name her. Shirley MacLaine, good grief. You know, up in the mountains, there were spirit guides all over the place. Um, but I think of that, and I think of the influence that pervades us today. That same influence was pervading Colossae, was challenging their, their faith. Um, not only the worship of angels, but astrology. It, it, remember, I told you, everything on this earth, including ourselves, was evil, and they'd look up in the heavens and they'd see those stars way up there and they'd say, oh yeah, those stars are away from the evil down here. So therefore, they're pure and God can communicate through those stars to us. And they would come up with all these elaborate schemes by looking at the constellations and the patterns of the stars. And they would worship that. Um, let me just read to you some verses here that Paul says in, in, in chapter 2. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying they've had a vision about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. So he's challenging them at this point. Um, worship of angels, astrology, rituals and diets. And and this is where you kind of begin to you know, get a little bit down on our plane here. Because they saw that the material was so evil, you had to do a lot to purify the evil so you could begin this journey up the levels. And so there was a lot of have-tos that you needed to do. And your elite, intelligent director would tell you how to do that, as well as your spirit guide challenging. Um, when I look at that, you know, I, I just see, one, it's saying to you, you don't know enough. You don't understand the spiritual life. You need a counselor. Um, you're not doing enough. You need to do more so that you can become more and more spiritual and pure. Um, and, and, and then this elite group is the only ones that can really interpret, um, interpret the truth. So Colossae, yes, they were holy and faithful, but little by little, they were beginning to have this, this influence from the surrounding area. And it became a, a worship that, as I've turned, Jesus plus. Jesus plus. And those people that were in Gnosticism, these elite thinkers, never said to them, give up Jesus. No, Jesus was good. Keep him. 
But you know what? He walked on this earth. He's not pure. You need to get, Jesus is a good start, but you need to get beyond that. Jesus knew some of the spiritual uh, counselors and, and some of these angel guides, but we can help you get even farther than Jesus could. So they diminished the role of Jesus, but it was Jesus plus. Um, have you, any of you read Screwtape Letters? Okay, I see a number of hands. A book by C.S. Lewis in which uh, Screwtape is a senior demon. And he is writing to his nephew, Wormwood, who is a junior demon, trying to learn the ropes of how to cause people to fall away from Christianity. Um, he's not having the easiest of time. And so Screwtape uh, takes it upon himself to try to mentor his, uh, his nephew. There's a, a chapter in the book that, that starts like this. My dear Wormwood, the real trouble about the situation your patient is living in is that it is merely Christianity. What we want, if men have to become Christians at all, is to keep them in a state of mind I call Christianity and. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and psychic research. Christianity and astrology. You know, I had a couple others there and I ran out of room on the slide. But the next one was Christianity and vegetarianism. Ah, I just throw that out. Um, but, you know, we look at that, we can chuckle, and yet I really believe Jesus plus has infiltrated our churches. And I confess to you, I'm a religious guy, and Jesus plus is all about that. Um, I, I look at myself, yes, I, I want to I grow in such a way that's going to please God. Uh, so I'll read a book about how to, how to be more effective in your prayer life, how, how to pray every day, how to have quiet times that just raise you. Uh, you know, and, and after a while, I'm finding that, okay, I, I, I want to get all these techniques down. I want to learn how to do this stuff because I need to, because I need to be better, because I need to present myself to God a faithful servant. And I fail to realize, I think God already looks at me like that. And Satan's doing all he can to trip me up. And I wonder if you can identify with that. There's, there's basically, I think, two religious systems in the world. Uh, the first one is the religion of my achievement. And that's all about doing. Do this, do that. Um, you know, Carrie and I, like I said, both of us grew up in the church. After we were married, we were very involved in some discipleship programs. And Carrie tells a story about how she went to a group of women. And the leader made them go around the room and share, how many quiet times did you have this week? And Carrie would always say, oh, about two, when she really had more. But she didn't want to seem too ostentatious. Um, but that kind of thing, you know, I wrestle with that, the religion of my achievement, as if it depends on me to improve myself so I can be more pleasing for God's glory. The other system, the religion of God's achievement. And he says, done. He says, done. In fact, on the cross, he said, it is finished. What if when Jesus was dying, he said, it is almost done. We've just got a little ways to go and it's up to you guys to do it. I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you to read your Bible every day. I want you to pray all the time. You know, all those things sound great. In fact, we've got some commands for those things. But he said, it's finished. It's finished. It's not up to you guys. But he invites us to participate. 
We no longer have to. Now we get the opportunity to, and we can step into it. Um, so, so we come back here to Colossae, and, and we see how Paul shares some things with the Colossian Christians about uh, their, their religious stance. First, he says, focus on Christ, Christ alone, not Christ plus. And in verse 15 of chapter 1, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He holds all creation together. Wow, can you see that? The material world that they say is evil. Here's Jesus holding that as well as all the universe, and he holds it all together. Um, subtle, subtle things that Paul is telling them that go contrary to what they've been hearing by the elite intelligentsia. Verse 19, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Christ who walked this earth was God himself. God walked this earth, this material evil world. But God came down and walked it. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Not a snitch was not reconciled to him. Everything was. Um, in chapter 2, so you also are complete through your union with Christ. That word complete is very important in Colossians. It, it means fullness. Um, it means total. Uh, what, the, what the Colossian Christians, what these elite intelligentsias were telling the Colossians Christians were, you want to have complete understanding. You want to be complete. And the only way you can be complete is to follow our rules and go in our direction. And we will help you. Um, and now just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live in him. Now, I stop here. Continue to live in him. And I hear that and I say, okay, now wait. Okay, Jesus did everything, but now he's saying, continue to live in me. And that's where my little religious noggin starts saying, okay, what do I have to do to live in you? What do I have to do? You know, we're going to show a video. And uh, this was a video that went, uh, it went viral about a year ago uh, by a guy named uh, Jeremy Bethke. And actually, Carlson, you put me onto this. Um, and uh, I'm just going to show the tail end of this. But it was like a, a little rap that he showed uh, that he put together, Why I Hate Religion. And um, when I went to pull this down, you know, I saw on the one site that I was pulling this from, there's over 30 million hits. So I don't think we're alone when it comes to this, this topic. Um, Carolyn, would you start that? Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention, how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. Powerful words, powerful words. Um, and it challenges me. You know, because I, I put out those two systems of religion. One is the achievement of man. One is the achievement of God. One says do, one says done. Um, I look at this and it says continue to live in him. And again, I, I have to admit, I'm reminded of this guy as I sit there puzzling. What am I to do? Um, in, the, in the Guys Must Be Crazy on Friday, we've been going through the book of Galatians. And Galatians is the same message. Learning how to live in the freedom of Christ and learning how to receive that. And, and we, we keep asking the question, well, it doesn't mean that we just stop doing, does it? Does it mean that we just kind of rest on Jesus and, and, and don't really try to improve ourselves? And someone came up with a great little guideline and said, you know what, Dan, when you're talking about this whole thing about quiet times and, and, and how much time you pray, if you look at your motive for wanting to pray more, and if you say, you know, I really am disappointed. I really miss it. That's a whole different thing than saying, you know, I really feel guilty. I need to pray. Um, because God invites us to talk with him, and he wants us to talk with him, but he doesn't make us talk with him. So, so we have this we have this tension, and uh, someone at, at the Guys Must Be Crazy brought up this illustration that Martin Luther has said. Um, human nature's like a drunkard trying to ride a horse. He gets on and falls off on the left side. He resolves not to make that mistake again, so he remounts, careful to avoid falling off on the left, and promptly falls off on the right. And, and, and that does seem to be us. We're living in tension. And, you know, as I just kind of looked at this picture, I had to realize, wow, the goal of Christianity is to sit on the horse who is Christ. And yeah, sometimes I go to the, uh, you know, to the extreme of just kind of saying, I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to sit here. Sometimes I go to the extreme saying, oh, I'm going to do everything because I want to make sure I sit here. And I fail to realize, you know, Jesus holds on to me regardless. Jesus keeps me with him. Um, so as I'm wrestling with this tension of do or done, do or done, I'm so thrilled that Jesus says, keep wrestling because I still love you and I still cover you. So how did Paul help the Colossians with this challenge to their faith? Um, first off, take back to that verse two so you can get a kind of a tone from Paul. And, and I'd have to say this tone is a tone of love. Even though Paul had never met these people, but I just sense love coming from these verses. Um, you know, he could have started out and said, guys, I hear there's some major problems in the way you're believing. And I want to point out some of those problems. But he doesn't. Look how he starts. Um, he starts by saying, we're writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. Um, you know, he, he just 
approaches them very invitingly and recognizes, you are holy, you are faithful. I recognize that. Um, someone wrote, you know, if you want to go and be abusive, you're not going to be very persuasive. And so Paul approaches them, affirming who they are. The next few verses, we always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. Listen to that. He's not pointing out their mistakes. He's saying, your love is, is talked about. We've heard about it. And we're excited about that. Do you realize that's going on, that your reputation is spreading around? And he accepts that. Scooting over to verse 6. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. In other words, hey guys, you didn't need an elite spiritual counselor. You didn't need some kind of spirit guide to take you to the next level. From the very first day, this gospel was real in your lives. And guess what? The power of that gospel, the power of that good news, that message that it's Christ and Christ alone is spreading around the world. And every place it goes, it's bearing fruit. It's not bearing fruit because they're such great teachers. It's not bearing fruit because people are doing so many diets and rituals. It's bearing fruit because God's at work. He's on the move. Scooting to verse 9. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. You hear that word? Complete knowledge, spiritual wisdom. Here are these elite instructors coming and saying, you want complete knowledge? Well, come and listen to me. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're praying that God's going to give you that. This God that they'll tell you is so far away, he doesn't have any time for you. And he wants you to do all the work to get to him. But no, God has come to you. And he's going to work in you to give you that completeness, that fullness. Um, in verse 10, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. Your lives will produce every kind of good food. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. What an opportunity, what an invitation to come in and learn to know this God who's so far away, but now he says you can learn him better and better, and that's the challenge of our lives is to, look, to know him, to know him better and better, and as we do, we're going to see fruit. It says it's going to be automatic. It's going to come. So what does Paul do at this point with the Colossians? He, he makes these verses, these statements, but then I think he plants in the Colossians the fact of what has already happened to them. And I believe that's the message we need to hear today so that we don't slip back into that, that religion of human achievement. The first one is, I'm qualified. I am qualified. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. You are already qualified Anything you do now is just gravy, but it's not going to make you more qualified. It's not going to increase his love for you. It's not going to make you more pleasing to God. And again, I go back to that wrestling that I've had. Wow. Am I supposed to please God and do all these things, or am I supposed to trust him 
of what he has said already about me. Religion says, please. Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. I said it was finished. Don't try to drag it all out again. I've qualified you. You are qualified. You are safe. You are safe. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He rescues us from the dominion of darkness. We're safe. We're safe. You know, I think of the Colossian Christians, and from what I read about that whole um, philosophy that was permeating them, it was also based on a lot of fear. Fear about these spirit guides. Fear about this spiritual world. Fear. I remember a few years ago, there was a great guy here at the church. And, and I know that there are people here at church uh, this morning who are sitting here who have the ability to, to sense the spirit world. I will confess to you, I don't. And I really don't want to because I don't want to see what's going on around here that I can't see. But there are people who can. And I know that. But one, one person a number of years ago came to me and said, boy, Dan, I was walking through the church the other night and the fireside room was just full of demons. And I go, and, and it was my turn that week to turn the lights off. Um, <laughs> you know, I wish I had just focused in on this verse and realized he's rescued me. Now, when I share that, you know, I, I'm not downing or dissing the spiritual world that's going on around us. In fact, if we had spiritual eyes to see everything that's going on in this place, it would scare us. But thankfully, Jesus is so much greater, and he has saved us from those things. We are protected. And yeah, they're, they're trying to tempt us every which way, and yeah, if we give them time, yeah, we'll succumb to it. But Jesus has said, I've qualified you. I am protecting you. Take advantage of that. Stop trying so hard and rest in me. Finally, he says to these Colossians Christians, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And because you're forgiven, you're redeemed. There's nothing more that you can do to make you more forgiven. I've covered every sin in your life, past, present, future. It's covered by my blood. I love how the NLT says, uh, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He purchased your freedom, my freedom, as we come into this July 4th weekend, and we're all thinking about freedom, but in Christ, we are truly free. We are free to be able to pray to God. We are free to be able to dig into his word. We are free to be able to give to him. We don't have to. We're free to, because he invites us to come and know him better and better and better. But he also says to us, you know, if you choose not to, if you've accepted me as the way, I love you. I love you. Okay, I said I was a religious guy. Oops, I'm going to go here. Uh, and here's this elephant's foot. What's this got to do with that? You know, I, I look at this elephant's foot with that chain, and I was reading this week, and there was a little illustration that came up. Because if you ever go to the circus, you'll see these big elephants sitting there, and they've got a chain or a rope around their one foot, and it goes to some silly little post sticking in the ground. And you say, man, if that elephant just moved, he'd pull the whole thing right up. Um, there was a guy who wrote this little story. He said, um, I saw a trainer nearby, and I asked why these animals just stood there and made no attempt to get away. Well, the trainer said, when they're very young and much smaller, 
We use the same size chain to tie them, and at that age, it's, it's enough to hold them. And as they grow up, they're conditioned to believe they cannot break away. They believe that that chain can still hold them, so they never try to break free. You know, that's what I see going on in so many of our churches. That's what I see going on in my life at times when, when I think, oh, I've got to do more. I've got to do more to please this God. And I'm sitting there with a chain attached to a lie. Jesus says, hey, I've, I've pulled the chain out of the ground. Move. Move. I invite you to pull that chain out of the ground. I invite you... To, to free yourself from the bondage of religion. That, that tyranny that says, you're not enough, you've got to do more. That, that tyranny that says, boy, God's just not quite pleased. Change this. Instead to realize, boy, the freedom and the joy when Jesus says, I have finished the work. It is done. And we're going to be coming to this table, the communion table, where we are going to recognize that. That Jesus did the work. Um, I want to share one little picture here. This is Da Vinci's uh, picture that he painted, The Last Supper. And there's a story about it. You know, I got to admit, I tried to confirm this story and I had a little bit of a hard problem, but it makes a good, a good sermon illustration, so I'm going to share it anyway. <clears throat> um, but in this, in this picture, um, it, it's a huge fresco on the side of a, a wall within an interior building. And, and it has declined over years. Um, they just kind of refurbished it a few years ago. Um, but you see how Jesus is right in the center of that picture. Uh, let me just focus in on him. And this was before the picture was reconditioned. Um, but you look, here they are getting ready to take communion, getting ready to take that last supper. And there's something missing. I mean, I see some bread there on the table, but I don't see any kind of a chalice or a cup. And the story goes that when Da Vinci first painted this, yeah, in Jesus' right hand, that looks a little bit odd as you look at that picture. In Jesus' right hand, he held a chalice. And he asked a friend who was an art critic to come and just give him some insights. And this guy came over and took a look at it and he said, oh, that's, that's beautiful. I love how things are kind of centered all focusing in there toward the center, toward Christ and toward the chalice. And I love how you depicted that chalice. That chalice is beautiful. And Da Vinci said, oh, well, well thank you. And then he proceeded to take some brushes and to paint the chalice out. And his friend said, wait a minute. I just told you that's the, that's the most beautiful part of this painting. And he said, yeah, I know. That's why I'm painting it out. Because when I painted this, it was supposed to be about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And he's at the center. And I don't want anything, whether it's a chalice or whether it's a piece of bread or whether it's some of the disciples, to distract from Jesus because it's Jesus Christ alone who has done the work. I invite you to come to this table in Jesus Christ alone. Not in your achievements. Not in the works that you do. Oh, come just totally dependent on him. You know, and I invite you to come not coming, reviewing all your sins. Sometimes we come to this table and say, oh God, I blew it again. How can you have patience with me? My goodness. You know, I invite you to come saying, God, I thank you so much that your grace covers me. And even that sin that, that just I can't seem to get rid of, but you tell me you love me anyway and you're working with me together on that. Oh, thank you. 
Come to the table in that kind of humility. Come to the table because of Jesus Christ alone. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your amazing plan of salvation and grace. I thank you that you free us from the bondage and the tyranny of our efforts. And you call us to to step in in total dependence upon you, to trust all that you have done, to trust all that you have said about us, to trust your love. So Lord, we come to this table today to remember you, to rejoice and celebrate in that, and to celebrate especially in the fact that you love us and call us your children. We are part of your family. Oh, Lord, thank you for challenging us to remember in this way. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.